Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. Walk right in, sit right down. Daddy, let your mind roll on. Oh, I'm showing my age today. I'm having one of those super sugar crisp flashbacks to watching the Lawrence Welk show on Saturday nights with mom and dad and the Graham Six. I don't want to sing with you, Sarah. Someone now is going to come into the studio and interrupt and say, geez, Tim, what are you going to give them next? Winchester Cathedral. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, next I'll be smelling Prell shampoo and some wild root hair cream. It was more like hair glue or hair varnish. Anyway, it was a bad week for Team Biden. What with the beginning of the House impeachment inquiry and then the Hunter Biden indictment on three gun charges. Not a good week for them. Let's begin by underlining one important point. I'll point all of you liberal journalists who boasted for five years that your job was to marshal the facts and hold government officials accountable. You look ridiculous now. Every journalist who claims there is no evidence, or in CNN's case, what, no public evidence? You know, they start using the weasel words. No evidence of Joe Biden's financial involvement with Hunter. You're all cotton-headed ninny mugginses. Every Trump trasher who looked in the mirror and saw a superhero... Yes, we are all mentally starting with you, Jim Acosta. You should all look in the mirror and ask, Did God put me on this green earth to take public orders from Ian Sams and the Biden Booster Club? Where is the self-respect? Now, I don't like to make fun of people's appearance, but, you know, I just saw Ian Sams on PBS the other night, and I'm like, that looks like a Q-tip with glasses. Uh, but, you know, the, the argument here is m- more a disciplinary session. You know, you're all supposed to say this is full of lies. You're all supposed to say this is, is an attack of the far right-wing Marjorie Taylor Greene heads forcing Kevin McCarthy against his will to lie their faces off. Now, we knew all along that the Brian Stelters and the Margaret Sullivans were deploying this facts-first flapdoodle to flay only one side of the political debate. Their ardor has not cooled. They may have switched employers, or maybe, you know, Stelter's still taking his contract money. But they're all still making a case for guns a-blazing liberal Democrat partisan hackery. I'm going to get to this. Brian Stelter retweeted a Margaret Sullivan piece. That's going to be the main item here today. But look, here's the central conceit of these people, which is now forever exposed for everyone to see. We here at the vast right-wing conspiracy, we freely admit we are conservatives. We are partisans. We are here to represent and defend 
our conservative movement's ideas and leaders. But the Stelters and the Sullivans and the Oliver Darcy's pose as the guardians of truth, like their journalism doesn't carry any odor of a bias or an agenda other than just love and sweet reason and facticity. But what you really get is elasticity or the toxicity in our city. Anyway, you know, speaking of Oliver Darcy, naturally, as a CNN employee, he's going to champion Christiane Amanpour on her 40th anniversary of being a CNN hack. She uncorked the concept of truthful, not neutral. That's how you defend liberal bias. Liberal bias is truth. Neutrality is bad. She mentioned covering war in Bosnia in the 1990s. Clinton got all involved in that after being impeached in 1999. She was saying, there was no on the one hand, on the other hand. In situations of gross violations of human rights, you cannot be neutral because then you are an accomplice. That caused her to distill it into truthful, not neutral. Well, look, speaking of CNN in 1983, this is not the way CNN was covering the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. The entire communist bloc, Russia, China, North Korea, Vietnam, Fidel Castro's Cuba. Did they say there's gross violations of human rights so we can't be neutral? That is not the case. When I started here in 1989, it was quite routine of us to mock CNN for pro-Soviet bias. They weren't neutral. They were promotional. And, of course, it started at the top back then with Ted Turner. Ted Turner, who was embarrassing Wolf Blitzer, you know, saying, ah, I, was, I went to North Korea. I didn't see any death camps. I saw people on bicycles. You know, he, it just, Ted Turner would do these interviews with Fidel Castro. Ah, aren't you great? Uh, you know, he's not, he wasn't going to ask him tough questions. It's Ted Turner, of course, who put on this embarrassing so-called documentary called Portrait of the Soviet Union, which was so embarrassingly fawning, the Soviets actually edited it down. So I'm not going to accept this idea that CNN, well, we, we can't be neutral on human rights. No, you were worse than neutral on human rights. You know, you were embarrassment when you embedded yourself in Saddam Hussein's Iraq with Baghdad Bob. You were embarrassing in Nicaragua. Were you embarrassing in Cuba? That's what we remember. You can go back and read very old copies of Media Watch that we were doing way back when. But, of course, you know, then they're trying to change and say, well, I apply this to everything. Amanpour goes to, whether you're covering Donald Trump, whether you're covering the climate crisis, whatever you're covering, you absolutely have to be truthful, which does not mean unobjective. Objective means cover all sides. It does not mean come to the same judgment about all sides. Now, see, this is kind of a phony argument. This is why these people hate the idea of objectivity, because they can't help but put a thumb on the scale. In fact, they can't help putting their whole rump on the scale for their heroes, for their liberal you know, values. That's what they do. They're just completely 
you know, coming to the verge of vomit for having to offer two sides. So Amanpour says, if I was a foreign correspondent, I would cover this the same way I would cover threats to democracy in any other part of the world. And I would make sure you don't just give a platform to those who survive on hate speech, to those who want to crash down the Constitution and democracy. Yeah, here we go again. If you oppose Christiana Manpour, who thought Barack Obama was basically Jesus, if you opposed her, you must be for hate speech. You can't be against Obama. That's racist. And it doesn't matter if Obama and Biden and Hillary basically want to take the Constitution apart. They see the Constitution as, you know, abortion rights, the right to be completely confused about your gender. You know, that's what the Constitution means. doesn't mean all those old white people's ideas. You remember Len Downey's running around saying objectivity, centered whiteness. I'm sure if you scratch these people, they would really say our founding documents centered whiteness. Now, this whole idea that you can't give a platform to the haters was their solution with the Pelosi-picked panel. The only people allowed to speak for hours on end in live coverage and then afterwards were those legislators who perpetually pleased Pelosi and never dared to hold her accountable or the mayor of D.C. accountable or any other Democrat they are not for holding Democrats accountable. They're for victory. They're not for accountability. Now, of course, uh, later Dana Bash put a monpour on CNN, and she even put on a shirt with the words truthful, not neutral on it. And then, of course, as Alex Christie noted, Dana Bash showed you where they really are. They were very upset that a poll found that 61% of Americans thought Joe Biden was mixed up in Hunter Biden's influence peddling. And she complained, somebody is relying on media other than CNN. Let's look at a poll that, David, I know you talked about extensively when it came out about how people view uh, Biden's potential alleged involvement in Hunter Biden's business. Do you believe that Biden had any involvement or not? Uh, if you look at the numbers there, it is pretty astounding. 61% say yes, 38% say no. And that's largely based on the consuming of media, I'm sure, and, and just hearing drip, 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 not because they've actually seen evidence, because we haven't. There they are. They just want to cling to the idea that there's no evidence. That's what Ian Sams told them to say, and Ian Sams expects them to embarrass themselves. It's just like I said, when AP's Farnoosh Amiri announced there was no evidence, I said, that's embarrassing. That's just like I, Farnoosh Amiri, have thrown up on myself. But it smells fantastic. I mean, just stop with the no evidence. You need to actually engage with the evidence. And you saw this video where Speaker McCarthy takes after Farnoosh Shamiri and says, let me explain. Are you, are you aware of this? Are you aware of this? Are you aware of this? And she's saying, well, that was the testimony. Well, if you're aware of the testimony, guess what? That is the evidence. Don't say no evidence and look like a moron because you look like a moron. 
So, you know, Margaret Sullivan left the Washington Post. She now writes her Valentine's to liberal bias at The Guardian. This is perfect because it is the socialist newspaper from the UK. She touted Amanpour's slogan. She called it an important call to action. Now, notice the action is always to slant things dramatically in favor of the good guys as they see it. Margaret had a list of things that were wrong with the coverage of this campaign so far. Numero uno, news organizations have turned Biden's age into the equivalent of a scandal. In story after story, headline after headline, they emphasize not his administration's accomplishments, but the fact that he's 80. Now, I challenge this. It's like one of those commercials. I'm going to throw the red flag. We're going to Get the video out. Because these people constantly are trying to tout Biden's accomplishments with the Inflation Reduction Act, like inflation has been reduced. We'll get to this in a minute with Paul Krugman. But the reality is, they have not done, as far as we have seen, some two-minute story on the problem of Biden's age. They might refer to it in passing. I know Curtis Houck was saying the other day, the, the morning shows all did stories on Mitt Romney. CBS actually sort of did get into Romney's complaint, which was neither Trump nor Biden should be running at their age. I have sympathy for this viewpoint, honestly. I, you know, I don't like the idea of 80 or 82 or 84 or 86 year old presidents. I don't, I don't love that idea. Now, I know there's a difference between some people are sharper at 80 than other people. What Margaret Sullivan doesn't want to handle is Biden at 80 probably looks worse than other people at 80. She was mad. A New York Times headline during his recent diplomatic mission in Asia turned the president's joke about jet lag into an impression of a doddering fool. An 80-year-old president's world were in trip. If, is, it's evening, isn't it? Then she quotes, the, the experts in this story are great. They're all hard lefties. Ian Milheiser of Vox nailed the problem, Margaret writes. I worry the Biden is old coverage is starting to take on the same character as the 2016 but her emails coverage. Find something that is genuinely suboptimal about the Democratic candidate and dwell on it endlessly to quote-unquote balance coverage of the criminal in charge of the GOP. Now, let's just note what Ian Milheiser is writing. I want to isolate the word criminal. These are the people that say, facts first, got to stick with reality, but you got to call Trump a criminal. Has Trump been convicted of anything at this point? If I refer to Hunter Biden as a criminal now that he's been indicted, is Margaret Sullivan going to have a fit? I would say yes. But this it's kind of funny that they would compare Biden as old coverage to Hillary Clinton's emails coverage. Because what they're basically saying is anything that's a vulnerability, we're mad at the New York Times covers a vulnerability. See, they're not really in favor of information. They're in favor of squashing information. They're censors. They're people that want you to shut up. That's who they really are. And then they claim, we are the journalists? Number two, 
back to Margaret. The evidence-free Biden impeachment efforts in the House of Representatives are presented to news consumers without sufficient context. Excuse me. What kind of context is calling it evidence-free, Miss Sullyview? The evidence-free impeachment effort. That's not engaging with the substance. That's pretending the sub substance doesn't exist. Margaret is basically putting her hands over her ears and singing, la, la, la. She complained. In the first round of headlines last week, most news outlets simply reported what Speaker Kevin McCarthy was doing as if it were completely legitimate. See? You can never note that the Republicans are doing something legitimate. <laughs> Do you see where these people are coming from? The Washington Post presented it seriously. Kevin McCarthy directs House committees to open formal Biden impeachment inquiries. Adding in a credulous line, the inquiry will center on whether President Biden benefited from his son's business dealings. This is all explaining. She's opposed to explaining. She doesn't like that it's simply describing. You're not allowed to do that. She liked the New York Times. They were a welcome exception. The headline, McCarthy facing an ouster and a shutdown orders an impeachment inquiry. And of course, as, as Clay Waters noted, everything was about the far right. Kevin McCarthy giving in to far right wackos. Ian Sams approved this message. What they're saying is we can't have you state something sort of factually and objectively. It needs to be just heavy with the drunkenness of liberal bias. Okay, number three in the Margaret Sullivan list of complaints. Trump continues to be covered mostly as an entertaining sideshow. His mugshot, his latest insults, and not as a perilous threat to democracy, despite four indictments and 91 charges against him. Really, this again, this does not reflect someone who's actually watching the news. All the coverage of his mugshot was only entertaining because they loved it. They loved his mugshot. They wanted the mugshot. This is the same person who was quoting Ian Milheiser saying Trump's a criminal. That's the way they covered the mugshot. They did not cover Trump as an entertaining sideshow. They've covered Trump like he's a threat to democracy by merely opposing Biden. Then she continues, despite Trump's own clear statements that his re-election would bring extreme anti-democratic results, he would replace public servants with cronies who will do his bidding. Now, this is really interesting, and you could notice they're all panicking. AP was the latest. They all panic that Heritage Foundation has these ideas about how to stock the government with people who actually want to do a conservative mission. That is packing the government with cronies. So we're going to think that Biden didn't come in and pack the government with his cronies. Uh, what she's really saying is, well, the cronies, the Democrat cronies were already there. They're always there. What Trump's obviously talking about doing is, I want to create a governing structure where it's not stuffed full of Miles Taylors and Peter Strucks that don't leak all the time that would seem to help the administration speak with one voice. See, when the Democrats are in power, the Margaret Sullivans of the world love the idea of the media all speaking with one voice. One, 
DNC messaging James Carville type voice. She likes it then. She's all for the E and Sam's ordering everybody what to do because apparently ordering reporters around, that's democracy. And then, of course, here's another one of her favorite sources. Ruth Ben-Giot, who I'd like to call Ruth Bullshiot. Anyway, she's always dragged in to say everybody Republican's a fascist. She says, I wish more people understood that Biden is our bulwark of democratic freedoms. She said that without laughing. And the alternative is worse than most Americans can imagine. There's so much imagination going on. Yes, Ruth Ben-Ghiat, expert in authoritarian regimes. She's an expert in imagining that the Republicans are all authoritarians. That's why she's. they love her on PBS. They love her on NPR. They love her on CNN. They love her on MSNBC. This is their message. We are for democracy and you're a bunch of freaking fascists. That's what they consider, you know, biased co- or balanced coverage. So, Margaret asks, how can the press do better as the election approaches? The problem is the mainstream media wants to be seen as nonpartisan and bends over backwards to accomplish this. I don't know about you, but that sounds ridiculous. Do we see the media bending over backwards to try to seem fair? I don't think so. I think, again, if they're upset that, like, well, Republicans actually got on for these interviews. Somebody interviewed Ron DeSantis. That's bending over backwards. Yes, uh, they're bending over backwards. If this means equalizing an anti-democratic candidate with a pro-democracy candidate, then so be it. See? Trump's anti-democracy. Biden is democracy. The Democrats winning is a win for democracy. Democracy means we crush all our opponents so they don't get to speak. They never seem to think that sounds silly. Margaret continues, the big solution, remember at all times our core mission to communicate truthfully, keeping top of mind that we have a public service mission to inform the electorate and hold powerful people to account. She's not for informing. She's for, you know, only one side of informing. She's not for holding every powerful person to account. It's... It's, it's frustrating for them to even try to claim we are the truthful communicators. We are the people who hold government accountable. Simply not true. It's the big lie. Then she says, imagine if the New York Times, among others, had stopped and done a course correction on their over-the-top coverage of Clinton's emails during the 2016 campaign. We might be living in a different world. See, Journalism works when Hillary gets elected. Journalism fails when Trump gets elected. That's the Margaret Sullivan idea. So now we go to, we get to Krugman. Yeah, Sullivan writes, the Nobel winning economist Paul Krugman pointed out last week, the media has failed to communicate something that should be a huge asset for Biden. The economy. (laughs) Somebody's a huge asset. Yes, inflation is low, unemployment is low, and there's virtually no hint of a recession, says Margaret. But many Americans, according to surveys, are convinced the economy is terrible. There's a really profound and peculiar disconnect going on, says Paul Krugman. Now, Paul Krugman's the same jerk who claimed the stock market would never recover after Donald Trump got elected. 
when it then went forward and got a whole bunch of stock market records, all-time highs. But Krugman, the voice of truth, I guess. Now, you got to make sure, if you really want to get the full Krugman, you got to go to MRC Business. You got to read some Joseph Vasquez. Uh, Margaret continued, media coverage of the economy, surely to blame. When gas prices spike, it's the end of the world. When they steady or fall, it's the shrug heard around the world. It illustrates one of journalism's forever flaws. It's bias for negative news and for conflict. Once again, I would love to see her actually find a report where NBC or ABC or CBS was all negative Nancy about inflation. All about gas prices spike. They all say it's the worst thing ever. Gas prices have just gone up in the last few weeks. They're not panicking. They're sure as heck not blaming it on Biden. You know, one of the patterns we've we've found routinely when it comes to the economy is when they report on inflation, the word Biden doesn't come up. Then, of course, she turns to journalist Dan Frumkin. Where is Frumkin? Where is Frumkin? Yes, he says, when one of our two political parties has become so extremist and anti-democratic, the old ways of reporting don't cut it. Both sides equal reporting actively misinforms the public about the stakes. The stakes really are enormously high. It's our job to make sure those potential consequences, not the horse race, not Biden's age, not a scam impeachment, are front and center. So, you know, this again, their whole idea is we need to make sure that what we put front and center is not any negatives about Biden, It's the stakes that if you elect Donald Trump, America is over. That's what she thinks the central message of so-called news should be. She concluded, overall, politics coverage will reflect not the odds, but the stakes. As NYU's Jay Rosen elegantly put it, lies and liars won't get a platform and a megaphone. So, you know, obviously the person that's doing this wrong in the Jay Rosen and Margaret Sullivan school is Kristen Welker. Kevin Tober on Sunday will be analyzing the full Kristen Welker interview with Trump. Obviously, these people, Trump, I think Trump should never, ever be interviewed. Uh, Jim Garrity at National Review pointed out, Dean Obadala saying, they're helping normalize fascism. Obadala urged his readers to call NBC and voice your views on how dangerous booking Trump for this show is. Yes, I reposted a tweet about Welker where Obadala says, she will lose liberals forever. I don't think so. But this is what he's basically saying. Liberals will punish you if you dare to question Trump. Uh, Jim Garrity wrote this. He's just right. There are people in this country who believe that Trump is so dangerous, odious, and unacceptable that a news institution like NBC News is aiding and abetting him just by interviewing him and airing the interview, even if that interview features tough questions, skepticism, rebuttals, etc. As the early clips from Welker show, there's all kinds of skepticism there. But for liberals, it inadvertently reveals 
an absolute terror that in a free exchange of ideas, the country will make the wrong choice and a belief that the electorate must be walled off from certain figures, perspectives, and arguments. Exactly. Yes, Jim. They pose as the guardians of facts, but in reality, they want to wall off any information that doesn't help them win. They claim to be the bolsters of democracy, but they can't stand giving airtime to an opposing point of view. Because opposing the Democrats is apparently the equivalent of misinforming the public. Who here doesn't have the mental capacity to argue their way out of a metaphorical paper bag? I just miss those old days when two sides of an argument could face off on cable TV anywhere. It's just rare now. So when the liberals say no evidence, somebody gets in their face, you know? I remember the good old days. I mean, I you know, like the 1990s, I would have... Be on shows where I'd be on with liberals and we were allowed to have a back and forth. That doesn't happen now. Generally, if I appear on conservative TV, there's not going to be an opposing point of view. That's not, a, that's not a terrible thing. Sometimes it does allow you to get your sentence finished. I remember I used to appear on the O'Reilly Factor and O'Reilly would be fighting with the liberal who was opposed to me. And my mom would say, well, you smiled nice. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, I seem to remember the last time Brent Bozell appeared on Morning Joe was in 2007 when we were promoting our book Whitewash on Hillary Clinton's media enablers. It, it, and obviously Morning Joe's been nothing like that for many, many years now. I mean, obviously, they put Trump on. If you consider that an opposing point of view, I mean, it certainly was opposed to the MSNBC point of view. Just remember at that point, Yes, they'd all made this calculation. This is the Republican we want. I think you could still argue in this cycle. Trump is the Republican they want. They want a candidate who they can perpetually suggest is two days shy of prison. That's, that's kind of their dream. And yet, then they'll run around and say, you can't just normalize the fascist. You know... We're a long way not just from Lawrence Welk and Leisure Suits and Prell. We're a long way from, yeah, the Bush years. Whenever it was, we stopped having those two-sided debates on cable TV. I mean, maybe you get a little bit of it on The Five. The, of course, the liberals would all say, you know, we don't accept Geraldo or Harold Ford uh, as, our, as our representative. Um, but I like some back and forth, some uh, hem and haw. So instead, if you want to see what should be said to liberal media, if we were sitting at a desk with Dana Bash and Christiana Monpour, well, that would never happen, would it? But you got to come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in.